Mike, I think it's time we take things up a notch here at the Cubulus Fantasy Football Podcast. I, I'm, I'm gonna break every record we got. I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna break every record that we have. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but it's gonna get done. That's what Jamar Chase told reporters after the first round back on Thursday. He is going to break every record they have at the Bengals. And Eric Smith, Bengals fan, editor in chief here at QB List, that's got to make you feel good about your first round pick. Uh, yeah, receiver at pick five. He better break all the records. Uh, that's all I got to say. So, yeah, I uh, love to hear the confidence. That's for sure. Uh, a little rapport with Joe Burrow already. So, uh, let's get it. Hopefully, for fantasy purposes, too. He just hits the ground running, uh, fully involved from the start, and we can just pencil him in as a wide receiver every year. Uh, wide receiver one, that is. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a wide receiver. Either of them works. But, um, no, nah, hey, receiver is one of those positions. I don't mind it too much as long as they don't become a, a locker room headache. I, I think you kind of have to be a little crazy to be an NFL receiver. So, let's go, Jamar. Let's do this. Yeah, here's hoping that the guy you spent a first round pick on can remain in his position uh, for the remainder of his career. You know, that would, I mean, if you drafted a special teams guy at pick five, that would probably not go over well. Yeah, I mean, there have been some jokes about putting him at tackle. So uh, we know they need to protect Burrow. So if that doesn't work out, they can move him inside. Well, since the last time we all talked about the draft, there were uh, six more rounds worth of picks made. Uh, we barely only talked about, you know, 10% of the draft. So uh, how did you feel about the way the Bengals uh, did the rest of their draft? And, and were there any surprises to you uh, overall in, in the NFL draft? Yeah, so for the Bengals, I mean, this was honestly what I was worried about when they took Chase instead of Sewell at pick five. Um, I just think the offensive linemen they took are a little bit too close to being projects. They're too far away from locked in year one starters. Uh, Jackson Carmen at pick 46, they traded back from the start of the second round. So I think they pretty clearly were after him because quite a few offensive linemen went before him at the start of the second round. So, hey, maybe they love Jackson Carmen, uh, offensive tackle from Clemson. They can move him inside. They want to play him at guard. Maybe they know what they're doing here. Um, but it just it feels like maybe. Yeah. And it feels like there's a little bit too much in, up in the air to, you know, just know that he's going to protect Burrow year one. Um, and then their next tackle is until uh, fourth round pick 139 so among their first five picks they only took one lineman uh, we don't know how confidently he's going to adapt a guard and this is the you know just what I was worried about passing on Sewell it's just a lot of question marks at offensive line now they're really counting on Jonah Williams and Riley Reif to hold down the tackle spots and we'll see how the interior works I, I just worry if one of those tackles gets injured who knows what happens? Um, I really like their pass rushers they picked. They got some good values on them. Um, they took a kicker who has a great highlight video. I don't know if you've seen that. He's uh, kicking a football. It takes the cap off of a Gatorade bottle that's taped to uh, a railing. So Evan <laughs> wow. McPherson, kicker from Florida, sign him up. He's uh, I'll maybe draft him right after uh, you know some of the, the elites in uh, fantasy football this year because he's going to be great. But uh, no, other than that, though, it's just a lot of questions at offensive line and I didn't want questions going into this season because we've got to keep Burrow healthy for this year. We can't have another injury riddled year here. You know, also it would be nice to have linemen to block for Joe Mixon, who apparently is like the uh, forgotten middle child for you at this point. Uh, but, you know, it might be nice to have some, some run blocking for him as well. Yeah. And then, I mean, the rest of the league, I thought there were some teams that, you know, just kind of passed on some interesting holes in their roster. I mean, the Lions didn't do a lot at receiver. The Packers, they did finally take a receiver, but it was not an early pick. Uh, there were just, you know, Dolphins passed on a running back. We're going to talk about a lot of this, but there are some teams that just did not seem too worried about addressing some immediate roster needs. The Colts didn't draft an offensive tackle. Uh, I wonder, like, you know, this draft seemed a little top-heavy, and if it just kind of flattened out after a while and people just were really kind of going best player available trying to pick their guy uh, because it, like, it just there weren't a lot of reaches as far as position, it didn't seem like. 
Oh, well, I mean, my Cowboys definitely reached uh, at one point taking uh, Nashon Wright in the third round, someone who a lot of people had like a seventh round grade on. Um, But he's a a big cornerback that drew physical comparisons to Richard Sherman. And by by that, I mean, like he's roughly the same height and weight as Richard Sherman. (laughs) So, you know, let's go back to it's Legion of Boom with Dan Quinn. And he's just trying to recreate, uh, you know, Frankenstein, that that defense back together. But um, we did draft for need. The first six picks were all defense. We were one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And then our seventh pick was an offensive lineman, which was also really bad last year. So uh, I don't know about all the other teams, but the Cowboys definitely drafted for need. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I know how to evaluate players as well as our scouts and uh, management do. So I'm going to put the faith in them. But uh, I mean, when it came to the draft, though, the, the most fun thing was that we had that live chat in our discord. Uh, we had that on, on night one on Thursday. Eric was there. Uh, Callan Elslager, Mike Miklius, Ben Brown, Kenny Heitenhove, uh, many other members of the Cubulus staff and Cubulus community. It was a ton of fun. And honestly, we want you to come and be a part of this community and come join in on these live chats that we have. Um, we have this incredible discord community. We talk football every day. Plus baseball, right? I mean, it's pitcher list, uh, your pitcher list family. So we obviously have that. We talk basketball, TV shows, food, pets. You can share photos of your pets and we're all going to uh, tell you how amazing and, and adorable they are. Uh, basically, anything you want to talk about, it's all here. So head on over to pitcherlist.com slash plus to sign up for PL plus. Be part of the community. And we appreciate all of your support. And, and come talk. Come talk to me. Come talk to Eric. Uh, come let us know what you think of Eric's rankings when they get released. Let him know where he went wrong because that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how the rookies slot into the rankings, how that shakes things up, and maybe a few veterans and how how they moved in response to that. Um, so let's get right into it and start with the running backs. Uh, running back, obviously, very important position in fantasy football. And really, a best case scenario for fantasy value, one of the top running backs gets drafted to our top optimal landing spot in Pittsburgh, and that was Najee Harris. I picked 24. I know we talked about it a little bit on Thursday night, but we were also very delirious at that point. So uh, it's a few days later. You've had some time. You've had, you've had some, you know, coffee and, uh, you know, just time to think about it. Be with your thoughts. How do you feel about Najee Harris now uh, being most likely the Pittsburgh Steelers starter on day one? Yeah, so I still stand by pretty much everything we said. Um, I am starting to have second thoughts. You know, we talked about how he's going to get hyped up and he's going to go in the first round by the time draft season comes around because that's just the way this goes. I'm having second thoughts about that because, I mean, this is a poor Steelers offensive line as far as run blocking. They ran the ball terribly last year. And while Najee Harris certainly looks like a good prospect, I think just expecting him to come in day one and just solve all of this with an aging Ben Roethlisberger is probably unwise. So um, he slots into like RB 13 range for me, but I'm going to have a big pushback if he gets up in that like seven, eight range. Uh, I just, I think there's a lot more established players there and I think they're in better spots. So we'll see, but this, the Steelers offense is on a downward trajectory. They didn't do much for the offensive line and to just assume they're going to run the ball now with a new running back is, uh, it feels a little bit like an old school way to look at it. So we'll see. There's still some starting caliber offensive linemen out there in free agency. We'll see what Pittsburgh does, but uh, Najee Harris is going to be a really good draft pick. He's going to be really productive, but I don't know if I'm going to be taking him in CEH territory. I think we all learned our lesson there. Uh, you're talking about last year's CEH territory. Not, yeah. Because yeah. this year, I, I would assume you have <laughs> Najee Harris ranked above or at least close to CEH. He's four spots ahead of CEH. But, you know, I mean, the more you look at CEH, they spent a ton on their offensive line. Um, he's in a second year. He's got a taste of the league. If he gets a bump in pass 
catching work, um, you know, there's there's a chance he could be kind of a post-type sleeper here. So uh, I still like CEH. We'll see how high we have him ranked by the end of the year, but he's 17 right now. Are, are we going to get a second year of, of right before the draft helium for CEH <laughs> and someone's going to pick him at six again? Uh, it's, it's possible. But I mean, you know, the, the team hasn't changed much other than offensive line upgrade and losing Sammy Watkins. So there's there's plenty of touches to go around and they're going to be a great offense. All right. All right. We're not here to talk about players that have been in the NFL who <laughs> stay on track. We're talking about Najee Harris. So uh, you say you have Harris four spots above CEH and that he's not going to be, you know, that first round uh, talent that we've seen in years past where you get like Saquon Barkley, who went in the top six, his rookie year. Zeke went, I believe, top 10 his rookie year. Right. So a lot of these guys come in the league. Uh, obviously, the aforementioned CEH. Um, Najee Harris might get that helium. But right now, um, where do you have him ranked at running back? Yep. So he's RB 13. Um, I still have Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson ahead of him. I have DeAndre Swift right behind him primarily because that Lions offense could be, you know, pretty bad. So Terrible. Uh, RB, RB 13 for me, clearly in my tier three and that tier three could swap around quite a bit. So, uh, but he's in the middle of that tier right now. Yeah. The, the top of that tier is guys like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't think that Najee Harris can get enough helium to get above Taylor, even Cam Akers, because those guys have quite the helium with them as well. Chubb is one of those dudes that always seems to, as we get closer to draft uh, day, and maybe it's because Kareem Hunt is there, people kind of start talking themselves out of Nick Chubb a little bit more and talk themselves into guys like Najee Harris. So I could see him going above Chubb come uh, draft day. Now you have Harris at 13. Fantasy Pro's expert consensus rankings um, have him at 20. Uh, the highest actually in there right now is 14. So you're currently the high guy on Najee Harris. Uh, so as far as the helium goes, it seems like the rest of the industry might get enough helium to get up to where you currently have him ranked. Yeah. Um, being the 13th running back, where do you predict that that draft spot is actually going to be? Is that end of the second round, middle of the second round? Where, where do you see him going? Right. Well, I mean, and I would just say, I mean, I know the players that people have ranked ahead of them, uh, you know, Swift, Mixon, Montgomery, maybe not Montgomery, but CEH. No, yeah, Mon Montgomery's at 17. Okay. So the players directly ahead of him are uh, Montgomery at 17, Chris Carson at 18 and JK Dobbins at 19. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, Dobbins, I'm just a little lower on than some, but um, so if Harris is pick 13 as running back, I mean, that's going to be second rounder, I would guess. Let me get my overall rankings here, but um, it might be early third. I, I bet he goes around that second round turn though in most leagues and, uh, we'll see how much he gets hyped up. You know, how these rookie rookies go. So, um, but there's, there's a lot more that middle range of second and third round is a lot different than it was last year where we had Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell and those types. So it's going to be really interesting seeing these guys compete for draft capital this year. Yeah. I'd love to see someone do like the, uh, a breakdown of like the average age of like the say your top 20 running backs this year versus last year because you're absolutely right last year it felt like it was filled out with a lot of those guys that are like well maybe maybe this is the last year that we have of them and now i mean we had such an amazing class of rookies but you look at it and there's so many second round or second year guys i mean uh in the top 20 between uh taylor acres gibson swift ch dobbins that's six uh second year running backs who all seem to and they're all in great uh, positions too. It's not just like, oh, we believe in the talent. Like they all have the job uh, for their team. I mean, maybe Acres is, is threatened by Henderson, but that's about it. Yeah. 
And I mean, honestly, like we joke about Todd Gurley being over the hill. He's what, like 26, I think. Um, that top group of running backs is getting up into that range where do we want to cut bait early or not? I mean, everyone from CMC to Camara to, you know, Aaron Jones and Zeke Elliott, like it's, it's going to be an interesting year. You've got a young class coming up and you've got some really good running backs at the top that should be able to hold on a year, another year or two, but we saw what happened with Gurley. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating year for the running back position. Yeah, but the the thing is, it's one thing to be 26, and it's another thing to be 26 without any knees. Like I think that's <laughs> that to me is the big issue is that when Todd Gurley didn't have knees anymore, it becomes very difficult to be an explosive runner. Uh, you kind of need you kind of need your lower body, you know, just all of it working in, in conjunction. Um, all right, let's move on to the next running back because this one's a bit of a murkier situation, a very a huge surprise. Uh, if you weren't uh, watching the draft on Thursday or didn't listen to our podcast, it was definitely a big surprise. No one was expecting it. Um, has huge ramifications for dynasty leagues everywhere because uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected Travis Etienne at pick 25. And obviously that has huge implications for James Robinson who plummets in the rankings. Uh, and we'll get to him in a second, but let's start with ETN. Um, Eric, you have him ranked in your top 25. Uh, Fantasy Pros has him ranked outside of the uh, top 30. Not too far off from each other, but you know, kind of far enough that whereas you have him as maybe a starting type of running back, they're probably looking at more of like maybe this guy's a flex player. Yep, and I mean, it just comes down to risk. Um, but I, I think running back is one of those positions that's awfully hard to just draft safe players that are going to eat up volume just as fast as these running backs fall off the face of the earth. So I'm willing to take shots on these guys. We saw it last year with all the rookies. I think there are reasons they didn't work out. But ETN and Jacksonville, I mean, they use a high, you know, first or a, a late first round pick on him, but high draft capital on him. And I mean, it, it clearly signals something. He's a big play threat. Uh, the knock against him would be that he hasn't necessarily had a three down workload in the past. Uh, not your typical like bell cow. So we may be looking at a big play threat who comes off the field more than we would like. It may have a little hope for James Robinson, but I think there's enough excitement here. Um, they obviously wanted to upgrade the position. So, you know, as of right now, um, I've got him ahead of someone like Melvin Gordon. I know a lot of people are going to chase that volume with Melvin Gordon, but he's another that's getting up there in age, and he has a threat to him. So I would just rather take a shot on the younger running backs, try to catch lightning in a bottle, and if not, move on to the Mike Davis types to pop up during the year. So ETN, if, uh, you know, he clicks with Trevor Lawrence, and Lawrence is as good as you know, advertised and this offense takes off, then there's a lot of potential there. If Lawrence struggles, this could be bad. So this is high risk, high reward. I, you probably don't have to take him as the running back uh, 24, um, but that's where I have him ranked. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned that he's not the bell cow type of running back. At least he doesn't profile that way. Uh, on draft night, Urban Meyer, new head coach uh, of the Jaguars, stated that they're looking at uh, James Robinson and Carlos Hyde as the one-two punch and then ETN as the third down back. And, and there's a healthy amount of skepticism around that. You don't, I don't think you're using the 25th pick in the draft uh, on a team that has a lot of needs uh, to pick a third down running back. Uh, maybe that's the case right uh, out the gate. Um, but it obviously it's not going to be the long-term uh, plan. At least I, you know, I don't think that was their plan when they drafted him there. Where do you, how much, uh, how, how many snaps, like what percentage of the snaps do you think we're going to see for Travis Etienne uh, and James Robinson? What's, what's the split going to look like? Yeah. I mean, it, I, I guess Hyde is a big question. It, it really comes down to how big of a full-blown committee Urban Meyer wants to use here. Um, I would tend to think it's some kind of 60, 40 type of split, but if, you know, if Hyde's out there for 30% of the snaps, then that uh, shrinks that real quick. So 
Um, I, I do think that ETN is going to be a, the third down back and they're going to use him that way. That doesn't mean he's not on the field first and second downs. Um, I, I think probably hoping for like 40 to 50% from ETN is a good place to start. Uh, just thinking he's going to come in with two other NFL running backs and get 60%. Um, that's probably wishing for too much here. But as the season goes on, we could see it. And maybe a little bit of like a J.K. Dobbins situation. You just hope it happens a little earlier in the year. Yeah, I was actually about to say this has really strong either. I mean, depending on the level of, of competency you, you expect the Jaguars to have on the ground, either the Ravens running game from last year or the Lions running game from last year. Um, <laughs> right. If they're good at running, they're the Ravens. Right. And you've got uh, Ingram and Edwards. Um, and I'm, there was some was it just those, it was those two and J.K. Dobbins. Um, and it was so frustrating to get Dobbins the, the playing time that he clearly warranted. But even more frustrating in Detroit, where Carry on Johnson and Adrian Peterson were standing in the way of DeAndre Swift. And so it makes me wonder, you know, Swift came on strong down the, uh, towards the end of the season. Dobbins came on strong towards the end of the season. It's very possible that ETN has a similar path where at the, the first four, five, six weeks of the season, he's barely on the field, um, you know, maybe getting five to 10 touches at, at best, uh, but then has his best games towards the end of the season when the team just can't be like, all right, well, yeah, we, we need the best players on the field at this point. Um, and you may not even have him on your roster. By the time you get there, that's the other thing, too, with uh, fantasy football is is we can draft these guys and be like, all right, he's going to be a beast. But then, you know, you're staring down the, the barrel of all the week seven buys and you got injuries um, and yep. you have other in players you're interested in. You know, I, I just don't know if ETN is someone that I want to to draft and to trust if I don't even know if he'll be on the field. No, I, I mean, I totally get it. You have to have a plan for him when you take him. Um, you, you need the roster room if you're the type that's going to draft two quarterbacks, two tight ends, three tight ends, just load up your roster at those positions. You're not going to have room probably for an ETN type. Uh, someone like me, though, who will draft one quarterback and one tight end, maybe two tight ends. Uh, I have a little bit more roster room, and I'll take shots on players like that and stash them. So you really do have to know how you build your roster. Um, one advantage that he has over Dobbins is that uh, Dobbins was splitting with Lamar Jackson, basically another running back. So That's true. Uh, ETN doesn't have that. And it's just really me thinking that Trevor Lawrence, you know, we, we've talked about Lawrence for so long. I think people are a little bit over him. But uh, he, he could come <laughs> into the league and be just – lights out from day one. So I think that's going to lift a lot of players around him. If that happens, we'll see. But uh, there's just a lot of factors here that could lead to a really nice season for ETN. All right. So we're going to move on to the next running back uh, in your rankings. And that is Trey Sermon, actually the San Francisco 49ers running back. He was the fourth running back selected um, pretty, uh, pretty long after the third running back went off the board. And that was Javante Williams at the beginning of round two. But uh, as we all know, opportunity is an important part of fantasy football and Trey Sermon lands in a much more interesting spot in San Francisco. So you have him well, I, I don't want to spoil it just yet. T tell me what your thoughts are on Trey Sermon and what you expect from him this rookie year. Right. So, I mean, you really just have to start with the 49ers depth chart here. Um, there are only two running backs on the roster with guaranteed money. That's Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. So everyone else, they could pretty much cut for free and move on at any point. Um, Raheem Mostert has not had much of a track record here, staying on the field, racking up big numbers of carries. He certainly looks explosive, but um, not a long track record of success in the NFL, and he's getting up there in age. And Jeff Wilson Jr., he was taking special team snaps last year before running backs wiped everything out. I, I think they like Jeff Wilson Jr. in that role, kind of special teams, goal line type back. So um, those are the only two with guaranteed money. Then you've got Trey Sermon, a pick 88. Elijah Mitchell, Mitchell, another rookie this year, he was way down to pick 194. 
And then it's just a bunch of undrafted free agents and Wayne Gallman, who they signed, but they can cut him for nothing. So um, there's not much here in the way, especially if we don't think Jeff Wilson gets that role he had down the stretch last year. So it's pretty much Sermon and Mostert with occasional Jeff Wilson vulture, you know, vulture scores here. But uh, I just think there's a huge opportunity for Sermon. Um, there are a lot of people really liked him coming into this draft. Uh, some even had him as, you know, top one or two running backs in this class. So um, big opportunities. Shanahan offense is awesome. If something happened to Mostert, like look out. Uh, I, Shanahan's always going to mix and match some, but I think Sermon's good enough out of Ohio State that he could take it over. So um, he's right with ETN right now. Uh, pick uh, RB25 overall. I mean, ETN was drafted so much earlier, it's hard to ignore that. Um, he was top of the class throughout this whole process. Jaguar spent a high pick on him, but Sermon lands in a great spot here. Um, one hesitation is just, you know, what does Trey Lance do when he comes in at quarterback for the 49ers? How does that process go? Uh, but if he, it's kind of similar to Trevor Lawrence. If he takes off, this offense could go with it, and, uh, you know, Sermon could be a beneficiary. So he's another one. He's He's got a lot of boom bust to him, but – uh, there is a huge chance for him to blow up this year. Well, I mean, my main concern is uh, if Trey Lance does uh, get the starting job or, or take over some way through the season, are they allowed to start both Trey Lance and Trey Sermon next to each other? That, that feels like Trey is that kind of name that it, it's a fantastic name, but you can't overdo it. You got you can only have one. We'll have to get a name change or a nickname. They'll, they'll, they'll figure this out. It's probably quarterback gets the upper hand, though. So uh, Sermon's going to have to just maybe go by his last name or whatever. Yeah, well, the the main thing for me here is I completely understand the the opportunity in San Francisco. And, and you're right. I mean, Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. both did really well in the spurts that they've had over the past couple seasons. The only problem is... A, they haven't had the kind of workload and consistent workload that shows that they can do it for a full season, partially due to their own injuries, partially due to just, you know, Wilson, what was fourth man on the depth chart to start the season last year uh, before just everyone got hurt. Uh, so it, it just it remains to be seen if they can hold up uh, and let alone if they're better than Trey Sermon. Now, they've been there longer. I have to think that they're going to get the shot before Sermon, uh, which doesn't mean a ton in the Shanahan you know, offense, we know what that means for running backs, but you basically here for me have like an elite handcuff ranked at 25. Um, and it's, it's someone that I'm drafting to put on the bench and hope that he, he gets the majority of the snaps in the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, I'm, I understand the thought process. I, I like the aggressiveness. I do feel like it's a little high. Um, I would probably want to get guys like Melvin Gordon and James Conner, uh, who are guaranteed more of the workload ahead of him. Um, and fantasy pros agrees with me because the ECR expert consensus ranking on Trey Sermon actually has him at 48. Um, the high person is 28. So not too far off from you. There's some people who have similar, uh, thought process to you, but 48th overall for Trey Sermon is a long shot from 25. No, for sure. And again, this isn't like, you know, draft him in the uh, fourth round or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm uh, just ranking him. And like, I mean, I don't know. James Conner, he certainly had trouble staying on the field. Um, you look at like the, I'm looking at some of the running backs behind uh, Trey Sermon in my rankings. Uh, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones in Tampa Bay with Giovanni Bernard. Do you know what to do with any of them? Are you that intrigued with any of them? Uh, Damian Harris splitting snaps with Sony Michelle and their new rookie in New England. Like it gets messy after them. And I just think there's more upside. I mean, do we want either of the Buffalo running backs, Zach Moss or Devin Singletary? Like, 
I, he's at least new. We haven't seen him struggle in the league for several years, and I just really do trust Shanahan. So th- that's why I'm taking a shot on Sermon over some of these backfields that just have kind of been stuck in the mud for a couple of years. That that's fair. I think I think I still like I would want to draft Mostert before I draft Sermon, just because Mostert is going to uh, presumably be the one getting the first crack at the you know at the touches you know come week one and and maybe I draft them back to back. Maybe I draft Mostert and then immediately draft Sermon and and cover my own tail there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just feels like drafting a guy who currently is third on the depth chart, even if he has the potential to get up to number one quickly, it still is. We're still talking about. He's just the best of the backups. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always it, been kind of down on Mostert, so maybe this is just a perfect storm for me. Um, but, I mean, he is going into his age, let's see, 29 season. Um, he got a late start to his career, but, I mean, his season high rushing yards is 772. He's talented. He's got a 5.6 yards per attempt in his career. But it's just he's going into his age 29 season. He's never really done it yet. I'm just typically not going to bet on them, and I'm going to go for the rookie and – Hey, if it doesn't work out, I, I drop them and I move on and I find a, uh, you know, an injury handcuff that came in and looked good like Mike Davis. So that, that's just kind of my strategy, but I do get it. Um, if you're trying to load up on volume, he's probably not your pick early on. All right. Well, from one, you know, elite handcuff to another, uh, we've got Denver's Javante Williams, who was picked uh, right at the beginning of the second round. Uh, he is definitely going to be number two on that team behind Melvin Gordon. There's no way that he's going to come in and be the starter from day one. Um, what do you expect to see from Javante Williams? Do you think that he could get a good amount of carries in the way that like Philip Lindsay couldn't behind Melvin Gordon this year? What, what do you expect to see? Yeah, I mean, he's a huge boomer bust pick, Javante is. Uh, He was, uh, I mean, second round pick 35, that's pretty legit draft capital here. Uh, Melvin Gordon saw about 58% of the snaps last year, so that leaves a big chunk of, you know, opportunity for Javante Williams. Um, Melvin Gordon's going to be 28. You know, there's there's some reasons here why he could see a big workload. Philip Lindsay battled some injuries last year, so he struggled with that. And I mean, the rest of the roster is Royce Freeman and Mike Boone, and you know, it's it's they're they're veterans and they'll see snaps, but it's nothing that's going to stand in his way if he impresses. So, you know, if Melvin Gordon got injured, there's a huge opportunity he could work his way onto the field as a complimentary back anyway. Um, I just you know, it, again, it's with these rookies. Um, I know it's scary having them highly ranked, but who are you going to draft instead of them? So. Um, I would take a shot on him later in drafts, uh, see how it plays out early on and move on if it doesn't work. But in an injury to Gordon, this could be a blow up spot for him. Well, and, and I don't mind where you have him ranked here. Um, Eric, as ranking of Javante Williams is at running back 37, um, right behind AJ Dillon, who again, another elite handcuff, um, and just ahead of guys like Zach Moss and Kenyon Drake. So we're, we're really in like the territory of guys who, um, you know, one thing breaks their way and all of a sudden they're a bell cow back with a ton of workload, um, you know, an, an injury, uh, some poor play on, you know, the behalf of like a guy like Devin Singletary uh, or Melvin Gordon could easily see these guys usurp them and move into number one of the depth chart. And we're at a point now where pretty much every starting running back is already off the board. Um, so I, I, I like I like it here. I think 25 for Trey Sermon is too high, even with the context. But I do agree that Sermon's uh, situation is undoubtedly better than Javante Williams is just because you're absolutely right. Melvin Gordon is a much more proven and much more reliable, at least in the eyes of an NFL team, mm-hmm. uh, starting running back than Mostert and Wilson. Um, and Fantasy Pros agrees with you, by the way. They have Javante Williams actually ranked 36th. Uh, the high guy on him has him at 29th. So uh, there, there are some people who think of Javante Williams as like the best of the backup running backs. And, and you've got him kind of in that mix. Right. Um, 
what why why did you so putting him and AJ Dillon, um, Zach Moss, Kenyon Drake, though like that kind of like four, yeah, and we'll throw James Robinson in there as well because we don't know uh exactly what James Robinson's role is there. So uh spoilers, here's five running back rankings for you. We've got Robinson at 35, Dylan 36, Javante Williams 37, Zach Moss at 38, and Kenyon Drake at 39. Um what like what separated these five guys for you in terms of, of how you rank them? It's tough. I mean, I, I think James Robinson, you know, as far as he drops with this draft pick, obviously of, of ETN, I mean, we've seen enough rookie running backs come into the league and not be able to stay healthy, uh, you know, in training camp that, you know, if that happened with ETN, Robinson's right back to his role. So um, there's some reason for optimism with Robinson. Uh, that's kind of why I gave him a leg up. He, he's going to see work still. They're not going to just completely phase him out. Dylan, he is just like total like if it hits with him, it, this could be huge. I mean, they get, they get rid of, um, you know, it, it's just Aaron, Aaron Jones right now. Um, not a lot of additions to the offense. Uh, they lose Jamal Williams. That's the name I was looking for. I would expect Aaron Jones to play more third downs. That could open up some early down work for Dylan, but I, I think he's just a, an elite handcuff. If something happened to Jones, you're, you're starting Dylan every week. Um, Moss is down there lower just because that Buffalo offense is so pass heavy. Uh, yeah. I didn't see much out of either of those running backs. Moss had trouble staying healthy in college. He had trouble staying healthy last year. I just don't know if there's much of a running back role. And then Kenyon Drake, I, I don't know what to do with the Raiders backfield, to be honest. I, I think uh, Drake and Jacobs are just going to eat into each other too much. If one got hurt, then, you know, that bumps him up some. But um, he's just a handcuff to me. Okay, uh, fantastic. And then just a couple spots below them, let's talk about the next running uh, rookie running back, and that's Michael Carter, uh, who was drafted at the beginning of the fourth round to the New York Jets. Now, this is actually uh, a spot that we had listed as kind of like an honorable mention for optimal landing spots for rookies because uh, who do the Jets have at running back? I mean, it's Tevin Coleman is penciled in as the starter, uh, according to you know ESPN's depth chart. You also have LaMichael P. Ryan, who looked um, – promising i think that's like the nicest way i could put it uh ty johnson who also looked promising there's like a lot of guys who 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 showed something uh in in their nfl play um and so for me you know michael carter you have it at 41 fantasy pros has him at 45 so there's kind of a bit of of an agreement there in terms of what his value is but i feel like carter's upside is really really high you know what, what am i missing here well, um, I while while I'm talking, I'd be curious what uh, P Ryan is at on Fantasy Pros. But I mean, ultimately, you know, both Carter and P Ryan are both fourth round picks. I know Carter is under the new regime of coaching this year, uh, so we figure he probably has a leg up. But I mean, it was the same, you know, same people making the draft picks last year when they took P Ryan. So, I mean, who's better? Who's going to stand out right away? Do we really know that you know Carter's just going to come in and win this from P Ryan and then? Uh, is it going to be worth it? I mean, is this offense going to be any good? Um, we talked about before, they barely see any goal line work the past couple of years, the running back right. position for the Jets. They're just, they're not scoring. I would expect it's better, but uh, we don't know Zach Wilson's going to light it up year one. It's a defensive minded head coach. So we don't know for sure the offense is going to have a great scheme. Um, and they did bring someone from San Francisco. That That's nice. But there's just a lot of question marks. I don't know what the upside is, and I don't know how it's going to break down. So I kind of just stuck them both right next to each other for now. Um, this could certainly change come, you know, training camp if one shows, you know, a, a big boost over the other. But I just – I really don't know how to, you know, how to do it right now. They're, they're both kind of the same in my eyes. Well, uh, Fantasy Pros has Lil Michael P. Ryan at 68. 
they actually have Tevin. They actually have Tevin Coleman ranks higher at fifty five. Uh, it seems like there's a, a somewhat of a consensus that Coleman is uh, going to get the you know most of the snaps ahead of P Ryan. Actually, the low ranking on on Coleman is seventy, whereas the high ranking on P Ryan is fifty five. So um, there's there's a lot of of you know muddled waters there in, in New York. We're not really sure what to expect out of this backfield. Um, I just I feel like whoever shows out could easily get that spot. And I think we've seen enough. I've seen enough of Tevin Coleman. And I think we've seen enough uh, from Ty Johnson and LaMichael Pirine that I, I just feel like I, I mean, maybe Michael Carter's the same way, but I just don't I don't feel like these guys have shown anything to, to that separates them. Yep. Um, from, I've, from I've anyone seen else. more than enough from Tevin Coleman, so I'm right there with you. I, I don't know why you would have him ranked higher than than P. Ryan or any of these running backs, honestly. So, yeah, I'm not interested in him at all. All right. Um, now, there's a couple other running backs who uh, you know went to kind of interesting spots. Um, Chuba Hubbard in Carolina, uh, fourth round pick uh, out of Oklahoma State. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, fifth round pick, going to Philadelphia. And then Javian Hawkins, uh, undrafted free agent, but he ended up in Atlanta, which was one of our top spots for a rookie running back uh, to land. So before we talk about him, because I think Atlanta has the most interesting situation for Hubbard and Gainwell, they are almost certainly the number two guy on their depth chart, right behind uh, McCaffrey in, in Carolina and Sanders in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, I, I think Hubbard becomes a pretty elite handcuff uh, if something happens to McCaffrey. But I mean, that's the only way you're getting anything out of him. Um, Gainwell, it could be a little more interesting of a mix between him and Miles Sanders. Uh, Miles Sanders has had tons of opportunity. He struggled. It's certainly not all his fault. That offense has been a mess, but you never know. Uh, Gainwell could come in and really show off and uh, be a split backfields. I think he's got a little more like standalone upside, but um, yeah, Hubbard would be an elite handcuff if anything happens to him. Uh, McCaffrey. Well, if people are drafting Reggie Bonifon and, and rostering him, which I think <laughs> more teams were than they should have been, then I think uh, we can do the same with Chuba Hubbard uh, as well. All right, now the the interesting running back here is JV and Hawkins. Um, now, obviously, undrafted free agent, so not a lot of draft capital spent. Every team passed on him at least you know however seven times. Um, so I guess some teams didn't pass on him quite that many times, but still, it got passed on over two hundred times. Uh, but the Atlanta Falcons have a huge need at running back um, because you look at their depth chart, right? And it's, so we've been talking about Mike Davis is penciling in as a starter. Uh, how much, uh, you know, how much can he handle? You've got Corderell Patterson, Kadri Allison, Tony Brooks, Jane. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much any of these other guys can do. I feel like we've seen enough Corderell Patterson. He's a great special teams guy. Let's leave him there. He doesn't need to be a running back as well. Uh, so what do you, do you think Javian Hawkins uh, can come in and be, uh, say he could be this year's James Robinson would probably be a stretch considering Robinson finished in the, in the top 10 and running backs on the season. But can JV and Hawkins be uh, let's say a top 25 running back on the year? I mean, this could be a really good system to get put into. And like you said, there's nothing in his way. I mean, Cadre Allison, I, I'd take, I'd take Hawkins over Allison for sure. If I was drafting deep in a dynasty league and take my chances, um, we've just seen enough of Allison and the rest of these running backs. So He's in, he's intriguing. I, I would say there's a long way to go before the start of the year. Uh, all it would take is the Falcons signing one of these old veterans like Gurley or Le'Veon Bell or someone like that. And he, you know, you're probably not going to hear from Hawkins. You may not hear from him either way. Um, but he, he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, like I said, draft him in deep dynasty, uh, put him on the watch list as, you know, drafts get a, 
get get rolling and the season gets close. So I, I don't. I, it's an awful lot to ask for to say James Robinson 2.0. I wouldn't put that <laughs> on any of these undrafted rookies. Um, and like I mean, Jamichael Hasty last year we got excited about. He saw some snaps, but he didn't do a whole lot. So he's just as likely to turn out like that. But he is a name to know right now. And um, if you have a spot on a dynasty roster, maybe stick him on the end and wait till week three or four and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, just someone to keep an eye on for sure. All right, uh, that's I think it for the running backs. Are there any other running backs that, that we might not have uh, touched on? No, that's pretty good. I mean, I had some moves in my rankings. Um, I just those were more veterans though, not necessarily the rookies. So um, no, I think that covers the rookies pretty well. Yeah, and and don't worry, we'll give you a bit of a sneak peek uh, to Eric's rankings uh, from a veteran standpoint as well at the end of the show. Um, all right, let's talk about wide receivers. I know you want to talk about this first guy uh, picked at pick five. Uh, you know, we talked about him a little bit at the start of the show. Obviously, he's out setting out to break every Bengals wide receiver record, uh, and that's Jamar Chase out of LSU, uh, former teammate and now current teammate of Joe Burrow. Um, you have him ranked in your top thirty. Uh, care to elaborate <laughs> uh well i will uh so slight defense here they're a work in progress so um I, i'm still working out the receivers are really complicated there's a lot of moving parts in these receiving cores uh here's what i'll say is that i think a lot of people are underestimating the draft capital used on jamar chase and the receiver we'll talk about next jalen waddle there are not a lot of receivers that go top six of the nfl draft this is a pretty rare occasion um, and I know the track record hasn't always been great, but I think this is a better situation than most top receivers are going to find themselves in taking this high. I mean, Jamar Chase goes to a team that, yes, the Bengals struggle, but they put up a lot of fancy points last year. Uh, he's played with Joe Burrow before. Joe Burrow looked really good. I, I just think this is a better fantasy landing spot than a lot of these rookies that high in the draft are going to find themselves in. A lot of times they're going to have a, a quarterback that's on the verge of being replaced. So uh, I, I just I don't think this is your typical situation. He should be able to get a um, get going with Burrow pretty quick in the season, and hopefully he doesn't have that lag that a lot of rookies have. Um, we saw, I mean, players like um, you know last year, obviously Jeff, Justin Jefferson blew up. You can't expect that. But C.D. Lamb, I mean, he was pretty much the consensus number one receiver last year. He lands in a crowded receiving core, and he still had a really solid fantasy year, even with Dak Prescott getting hurt for most of the season. So I just I think we've seen enough of these rookies come in and contribute right away that we shouldn't just run away from them. And then when you combine this draft capital familiarity with the quarterback, a team that's going to be throwing a ton, uh, I just I don't know. I don't see why we should be down on Jamar Chase going into year one. And maybe it takes him a couple weeks to get rolling, but I think he's good enough of a prospect that he's going to be involved right away. Uh, I would expect them to throw, you know, some short passes to him, some screens. He's going to be more of a run after the catch receiver than T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd. He, he's just he's going to be a playmaker. I think they're going to get him the ball a lot, and the Bengals are going to want to make this fifth overall pick look like a wise investment. Well, I mean. Not just C.D. Lamb, but there have been so many other rookie wide receivers that that did have done well in the past, including I think uh, a fantastic comparison would be Brandon Ayuk, uh, someone who had pretty much no one throwing him the ball last year. Yep. Uh, you look at that, the 49ers quarterbacks, it was not great, uh, was competing with, you know, obviously Kittle and Samuel had their injury issues, but they were on the field uh, for quite some time as well. And Ayuk was still able to to be uh, a star there in San Francisco. And, you know, Jamar Chase doesn't have a tight end to compete with. Um, you know, obviously Higgins and, and Boyd are going to be out there, but I think you're right. I think uh, we've seen enough wide receivers now come into the league and be able to produce uh, from day one that it's not quite what it used to be, right? People used to always say, you know, hey, wide receivers, rookie year, it takes them a while to get up to speed. 
I, I don't know if that's the case. And especially with a young quarterback, I don't know how complex of an offense the Bengals were running in those first eight games. I don't know what Burrow is is capable of. I don't know what that offensive line is capable <laughs> of giving him enough time to run a complex offense. But it might be easier for Jamar Chase to come in um, into this young offense and, and be able to, you know, kind of catch on from day one. Yep. And I mean, he's a much better prospect than T. Higgins. I know it's, I mean, it gets tough because we've seen Higgins produce in the NFL for a year and there's a really strong instinct to put him above someone like Jamar Chase because we've seen him do it. But Jamar Chase was a better prospect. Um, and, but just kind of more for his case. I mean, T. Higgins had a good year with Burrow getting hurt. Um, mm-hmm. you, you even look at like, I mean, Jerry Judy, like, he, he lost his quarterback partway through the year. That was a disaster. Jalen Rager, he got hurt. Uh, that offense was a disaster. So even the receivers that didn't work out, uh, there were reasons for it. It wasn't just that they were busts. So I'm taking my shots on Jamar Chase. Um, the rest of the receiving class is going to be a little iffy, and uh, I think you could get burnt with them, but I think Jamar Chase is going to be solid from day one. So you've got Chase at 29, T. Higgins at 30, and Tyler Boyd at 36. Um you're pretty much spot on with Higgins and Boyd compared to, yeah. uh, well, actually, uh, Fantasy Press has Boyd at 29, uh, Higgins at 27, so pretty much right where you have them. But then uh, they have Jamar Chase all the way down at 47. Um, now, you're not, there, there's other crazy people out there like you. Jamar Chase is high <laughs> on Fantasy Pros is 29. So exactly where you have him ranked. And and by the way, I, I'm not including your rankings in the fantasy pros expert consensus. So that's not you uh, setting the high. There's there's at least one other person out there like you. You got to go find them and start your little Jamar Chase fan club. Uh-huh. But um, I, th- I think it is it is a risk. Um, it is a risk to take a rookie wide receiver. And it's, it's a risk to take one that's in such a crowded um, situation as uh, Cincinnati with with Higgins and Boyd. So. Um, I understand your, your optimism, but you know, there's a health, healthy amount of skepticism here as well. Yeah. And I may need to drop Higgins and Boyd further. If I'm going to have lamb that high, I think that's probably a, a fair point to look at going forward as I refine these. Um, but I mean, you know, you say there's risk with Jamar chase. Well, there's risk with a lot of these players that aren't rookies too. You know what I mean? I like Debo Samuels had his share of injury issues. Cortland Sutton's coming off a major injury. Like it's, there are, there are risks beyond just rookies. So um, it's just kind of a risk reward thing, how much you're willing to roll the dice. But um, what if we look back and Jamar Chase really pays off on that fifth round draft value? He, he could have a monster year. So hopefully it happens sooner rather than later for my own sake. <laughs> yeah, for your, for your own sanity. Um, so the next uh, rookie wide receiver that you have ranked is Jalen Waddle, who has picked one pick after Jamar Chase. Um, kind of a surprise a little bit, I think, and maybe not so much in, in that like the Dolphins weren't linked to him because they certainly were. Um, but it just felt like after going out and uh, getting Will Fuller and just there were, it seemed like there were other needs for the Dolphins. Um, you know, they were linked a lot to Penny Sewell as well, that getting a third wide receiver. Uh, was was kind of surprising, but at the same time, you know, thinking about it again, we've had the the benefit of a few days now. Will Fuller was signed to a one year deal. Um, Devontae Parker isn't necessarily like a, some franchise cornerstone wide receiver that you know stops you from drafting another one because you're like, oh, I've got Devontae. no. So maybe it wasn't that surprising that they took Waddle, who could easily become you know their uh, wide receiver quarterback pairing with with Tua uh, for the next you know decade theoretically. Yeah, this Dolphins offense, I'm still trying to figure this one out. Um, I 
they've got some exciting players on this offense. That's all I can say. And if Tua figures this out, if he makes a leap in year two, he doesn't have to make a leap up to Justin Herbert level, but just he makes a leap. There's a lot of weapons here. This could be a fun offense. Um, how they're going to split these targets up is remains to be seen. But I mean, like I was saying with Chase, a six overall pick with Waddle is a huge investment. We don't see that a whole lot in the league. There's only been a handful in the past, you know, 10 years that have gone in the top six. There's been like four of them since 2012. So um, this is a serious investment and I expect them to use them. Uh, can he overtake those other receivers though? It, it's a challenge. So I'm kind of just moving them around right now, still trying to figure out the Dolphins. They're a really tough one, but I mean, eventually you get like into the 40s of these rankings. You have someone like Curtis Samuel. We love Curtis Samuel. He's he's um, a really fun player, but it's not like he's broken out. He's been in the league four years, and he just got to 1,000 yards from scrimmage last year. Um, that was with 200 rushing, though. Uh, he finds himself with a lot of competition. Like, you start getting down to some of these players like Marvin Jones. Is he really going to have a huge breakout year in Jacksonville? Um, there's just – you start getting lower ceilings. So at some point you got to decide if you want to chase Waddle or someone like him, or if you want to take Emmanuel Sanders, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis types. Um, and that's something I need to sort out in my rankings, but I just, I don't think we can overlook the draft capital and the potential for this offense to be a fun one. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about, we were already kind of excited for it when it was Will Fuller and Devonte Parker and, and Mike Kosicki, who, I think everyone still thinks of as a, as a high upside tight end, um, even though he's been incredibly inconsistent over the past two years when we've all kind of been in on the Gesicki hype train, but they still have Gesicki. Um, now Fuller has dropped in rankings. Um, he dropped to 26 for you. Uh, Devontae Parker dropped to 47 for you. And then on fantasy pros, uh, Fuller has dropped to 34, um, really, really fallen down. And then Devontae Parker's at 41. His didn't change too much. Um, but they have Jalen Waddle as the 60th ranked wide receiver, and it's a pretty big range. Um, now, the high on Waddle is 46, which is still uh, seven spots lower than you, but the low on him is outside the top 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people out there that don't think Jalen Waddle is going to do a single thing in his rookie year uh, for the most part. So it, it's very polarizing, and I totally understand because you look at the depth chart and you, you could easily say to yourself, Waddle might be the fourth uh, guy in the pecking order. And, and they've thrown to their running backs a decent amount. He could be the fifth person in the pecking order if you combine like the running back targets uh, in a, on a rookie team or as a rookie wide receiver with Tua as his quarterback and not someone like Justin Herbert. So I, I think they're you're right. There's upside, but I think the floor for Waddle is uh, like below the floor. It is is underground. I mean, absolutely. Uh, but I, I would say some of these floors for these players in this range, you're not going to be starting them anyway. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like uh, pick your poison here. Do you want someone on the bench that you can kind of talk yourself into to play in a flex and then be disappointed? Or would you rather take Waddle, see how it plays out and move on to the hot player on waivers week three? You know, so it's just how you want to build your roster. I, I certainly wouldn't take Waddle as my third receiver in a draft, for instance. But um, if you're drafting a bunch of receivers and he's out there and he can be your wide receiver five, I, I'd take a shot and see what happens. All right. Um, so moving on to the next wide receiver, we've got um, – I mean, honestly, actually, it's really just those main two. Um, everyone else after that is outside of the top 48, which means uh, after wide receiver four, um, you know, on, on average. So then there's a bunch of them kind of all in the same similar range. Um, so just real quick, let's talk about just give me what you kind of expect from them, what kind of a, a season and what kind of usage you think you can you can uh, expect from these guys. And, you know, is this someone that you are taking a shot on because, you think they've got a really high ceiling. Um, 
you know, uh, what, what do you expect? So let's start with the first one you have ranked, which is Rondale Moore, uh, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver at pick 49 or sorry, ranking 49. Right. Um, this is just, there's, they definitely need another option outside of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, Larry Fitzgerald's moving on. They picked up AJ green. Uh, they still have Christian Kirk. So there's definitely competition here. Um, but he seems to be someone they can find a role for in this offense, just with the, the style of player that he is. Um, he's going to be, you know, kind of a, he's going to be athletic. He's smaller, but you know, he can make some plays, short area quickness, stuff like that. So I just, I could see him coming up with a role here in this offense. And we've been trying to move on from Christian Kirk for a while. I, I think Arizona's kind of getting there as well. And Kyler Murray could have a breakout year. And I just, I just think his spot is really intriguing. So um, this is certainly one you don't want to rely on early on. He could be nothing, but if they, they decide to factor him into the offense, I, I think he's got a pretty solid weekly role in his cards. So uh, I'm definitely looking at him in this offense. I don't love Cliff Kingsbury, but I think Kyler Murray might be just good enough to offset that. So hopefully this is Kyler Murray's like, you know, kind of Russell Wilson type year. And he, he really takes another step and uh, carries everyone with him. I just want to point out, I, I corrected myself earlier when I said uh, that Rondell Moore was at pick 49 when I meant to say rank 49, but Rondell Moore was also the 49th pick <laughs> in the NFL draft. So I could, I should have just left it yep. uh, right after him. You've got Devonte Smith at pick 50. Now uh, ranking 50, he was picked 10 in the draft uh, traded up. Uh, the Eagles did with the Cowboys to get Devonte Smith and jump ahead of the giants and beat them out for it. Uh, a little bit of uh, interdivision, uh, you know, rivalry there, but uh what I find interesting about where you have him ranked is we had the Eagles as kind of like an honorable mention uh, wide receiver landing spot. And the Eagles used the 10th pick to get the uh, Heisman winner out of Alabama. And he's ranked below Rondale Moore, uh, who we didn't identify the Cardinals as an optimal landing spot and, you know, was taken much, much later in the draft. So um, I know you were lower on the Eagles than I was about, you know, their, their potential for a rookie wide receiver, but it feels like to me, Devonte Smith, you know, best case scenario is Rondale Moore is the number two in an offense behind Deandre Hopkins. Best case scenario for Devonte Smith. If he's the number two, he's behind Jalen Rager. Like, I mean, we're talking a much, much better opportunity. Obviously the difference from Kyler Murray to Jalen hurts is massive, but you know, Murray's also not like some, he, he gets a ton of his value from running. It's not like Kyler Murray is, uh, you know, getting all his value through the air. So uh, talk me, talk me into why you have Devonte Smith so low. Cause I, I think Devonte Smith should be closer to Jalen model. Yeah. Um, I don't love what the Eagles are doing just in general. I, they've missed on a lot of picks. Um, they just, they've kind of mismanaged the roster. I'm just not really buying into that offense. I, I think there's, I love be a this lot by of... the way, continue to talk trash about the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> right, this makes right. me very happy. No, and I actually I used to be a, kind of a low-key Eagles fan. I, I like the Donovan McNabb, those, those Eagles years. So um, I definitely don't have anything against them. But um, no, I just, I don't know. With Hurts throwing the ball, I just, I see him running a lot. I see them getting the ground game going. And I just don't know that there's a consistent passing volume there. Um, you're forgetting about Dallas Goddard, who's also there. I know Ertz is probably on the way out, but uh, if he does stay around, those are two options. I, there are other options to take away from him. And I think it's going to be a lower volume passing game. So there's just a lot, a lot less questions around Kyler Murray than there are uh, Jalen Hurts for me. So that's what's holding me back. It's just, it's really just the quarterback here. Um, there are a lot of people have questions about Smith. Uh, he's, you know, weighs 166 pounds. They're worried about if he's going to hold up. Um, I worry not that they're the same player. I just worry he's a little closer to like Henry Ruggs in uh, his first year for fantasy purposes than he is 
um, you know, Justin Jefferson or something, but we'll see. Uh, it's just, it's going to take a big leap from Hertz and he's really going to have to take over the primary role in this passing game. Uh, thanks for bringing up Dallas Goddard. I would like to amend my previous statement. Best case for Devontae Smith is that he's the n- number two option behind Dallas Goddard instead of behind Jalen Rager because he'll surpass Jalen Rager. Right. It's not like Rager has some stranglehold on the top wide receiver spot in Philadelphia anyway. No. So my point still stands. Devontae Smith could still easily be the number two option there. Um, but I completely understand. And and yes, you're right. I mean, at 166 pounds, it's very small for a wide receiver. Um, the, the NFL is now a 17-game season. I mean, it, there's... <laughs> Definitely questions, uh, but I think that he's got a ton of upside and a ton of draft capital as well. Uh, Baltimore selected Rashad Bateman at pick 27. Um, you have him you know, inside your top 60 as well. Uh, I mean, it's a tougher position in Baltimore, but uh, I mean, can is, is there any hope that Lamar Jackson could support a second fantasy receiver? Or are we hoping if we are into Bateman, are we hoping that this is the death of Hollywood Brown? I mean, I hate this landing spot, to be perfectly honest, but uh, there are a lot of people really high on Bateman coming into the draft. He could just be uh, a top end receiver here. And I think he could make it work to some extent, even in this, you know, run heavy offense. Um, Baltimore spent a lot of capital on wide receivers between Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman. Uh, They drafted another receiver later in the draft. So they clearly want to get the ball to the receivers, Um, a little less maybe running and, you know, tight end passing. So there's, you know, the Ravens are still going to score touchdowns. That's a benefit. He could score a decent amount of touchdowns. And if he can really just develop your one, he's got some upside. But yeah, this is a low volume passing offense. So unless Lamar takes a jump, which I don't think is out of the question, um, but I also wouldn't go into the year counting on Lamar just suddenly becoming a great passer. Uh, it's probably going to hold Bateman back. But I do think he's a really talented player and it's a good team that'll score some points. All right, let's. Uh, there's four wide receivers that were picked by teams that we had identified as as optimal landing spots. So they they listened to us and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. We should we should draft a wide receiver. That's a thing our team could use. Um, so I'm just going to go in order of when they were drafted, and I, I want you to kind of rank for me uh, these four wide receivers and which ones are on your fantasy radar. Um, so first was uh, the Chargers selecting Josh Palmer in round three at pick 14 out of Tennessee. Uh, then uh, Green Bay selected Amari Rogers eight picks later, still in the third round out of Clemson. Uh, at the beginning of the fourth round, the Titans selected Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville, and then Detroit almost right after took Amon Ross St. Brown out of USC. Um, so of those four wide receivers, uh, Palmer, Rogers, Fitzpatrick, and St. Brown, um, which ones are on your radar for fantasy purposes? I think you have to put Amari Rogers on your radar in Green Bay. Um, that doesn't mean... He's a different kind of receiver. I don't I don't think he has elite upside that some of these more well-rounded receivers are going to have, but I think he could certainly develop a role in this offense. Uh, Amari Rogers is, I mean, he's just a little bit more of a like tackle breaker, someone they're going to get involved like with his versatility, maybe end, end arounds, getting the ball in the short game. So I, I think he could have a role and he could be intriguing and he may be able to contribute this year. I just, I don't think he's got that complete receiver package. So he's maybe got a little bit less of a ceiling, but I do think there's uh, certainly a role for him in that offense. Um, you know, St. Brown and Detroit, I mean, that's just such a wasteland there. He's fighting with Tyrell Williams and, uh, Brashard Perriman and Quint- Quintez Cephas. It's just, there's a ton of opportunity, um, where he's picked though. It's just, there's no guarantee that he's going to be good year one or the coaches are going to trust him. But, um, he's one of those that could shoot up draft boards coming into the year. If, you know, he's in practice, he's in preseason games, whatever we have, and he's lighting it up. Uh, he could be their 
de facto number one receiver. So it's pretty much Hawkinson and Swift and not a lot else in that offense. So I'm intrigued by him. Um, other than that, I mean, as much as I want a receiver to happen in ten, um, yeah, in Tennessee to go along with AJ Brown, they do have Josh Reynolds competing for snaps as well. Um, you know, they got Ferkser at tight end who can catch some passes. So while it is wide open next to Brown, um, it's going to take a little bit for the receiver to just come right in and take, you know, take that number two role that Corey Davis had. So I'd, I'd be a little hesitant, uh, shooting him up my draft boards. Um, but yeah, and then same with the chargers. He, he, he does have to get past Mike Williams. And so I, I think it's mainly green Bay, um, that I'm looking at. I think that's the most intriguing and then Detroit. Yeah, I mean, obviously Green Bay just making sure that they have at least one A Rogers on their uh, on their roster. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right uh, with Amari Rogers uh, being there. Uh, he has to be someone that we have to consider as it really is is no one else besides Devontae Adams. As much as I love Alan Lazard, it's just clear that he it's not he's not going to be uh, a, a steady number two wide receiver. Um, I want to point out you have uh, currently you have Amon Ross St. Brown uh, ranked the highest of all the Detroit wide receivers, which says a lot about uh, the Detroit wide receivers. Now uh, the uh, ECR rankings on fantasy pros does have Brashad Perriman at 69 and St. Brown way lower than that at at 90. But uh, again, Brashad Perriman being the top ranked wide receiver at 69 means there's a ton of uh, opportunity. It's wide open and and pretty much whoever gets the, uh, the eye of Jared Goff, uh, you know, whoever wants to go sleep on his couch so that they can be, you know, his favorite uh, wide receiver, it, it's really up for grabs in Detroit. So if if yeah. Goff can show that he's an NFL, you know, comp, uh, quality quarterback, uh, which I still have my doubts on, then there's room for someone. Um, and it can't I mean, they could go the Raiders route and it's just uh, the tight end and the running back. And that's all that all we can trust. But I, I think I think there's going to be someone that emerges as like a as like a fantasy relevant wide receiver, I just I just don't know if it's gonna be St. Brown. Yeah, I mean I just Tyrell Williams and Perriman don't strike me as Jared Goff, you know, receivers. They're deep threats. And uh, St. Brown actually on, you know, the Ringers draft guide. Um, it's an awesome draft guide. Even after the draft, it's still fun to look at. But uh they kind of say shades of Robert Woods for St. Brown. Um Goff's made it work with Robert Woods before. I know it's a totally different play caller and offense, but I just think St. Brown maybe has a little more chance at like PPR, you know, upside where he's catching some short passes. Uh, I just don't see that happening with Tyrell or Perriman. They're they're downfield field stretchers. Yeah, I, I think really uh, what we need to do is, is just keep a close eye on any news stories that come out of Detroit as to who's living with Jared Goff yep. um, and then draft that guy. Um, okay, let's talk about tight end. There's really only one. That's Kyle Pitts. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Kyle Pitts um, for a while now because when you have a tight end that goes in the top five in drafts, um, there's a lot to talk about. And, and people are calling him the best tight end prospect um, some people are saying since Vernon Davis, other people are just saying, nah, the best tight end prospect. Um, let's not even Vernon Davis isn't even in the same breath as Kyle Pitts. Uh, I find that hard to believe, but the point is, is this is easily the best tight end prospect in the last decade. Um, coming into the league with insane draft capital at pick four, coming into a great situation in Atlanta uh, team that is, you know, we know they air the ball out. We know Matt Ryan is not afraid to sling it. Um, you know, we, we know that they have no running backs right now to, to give the ball to basically. So we're looking at, at pr- pretty much the third receiver in Atlanta and for fantasy pros, there's still that healthy amount of skepticism about a tight end coming in and being productive in year one. So he is ranked 11th, uh, behind Tunyon Gasicki and just ahead of Higby. 
Um, in fact, some people have him ranked as low as 24, basically saying this is he's just not going to be fantasy relevant as a rookie. Uh, where do you have Kyle Pitts ranked? So I don't get that. Um, I'll start with Tanyan because he dropped down my rankings a little bit. Um, so you look at what he did last year, 59 targets, 11 touchdowns. Uh, that's so many of these tight ends are just so touchdown dependent. And that's what can fluctuate year to year and just kill their value from one year to the next. Um, that's why Darren Waller is so good. He's one of the rare receivers or tight ends that gets receiver like volume. He doesn't rely on those touchdowns. He can just get there it. There are receivers who would be jealous of his volume. Exactly. He, he gets volume even more than, than some of the top wide receivers. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's what we're looking for here. And if we don't get that, we might as well just take our shot on the years Robert Tunyon or, you know, Tyler Higby or whoever it is. So that's why I don't get the hesitancy with Pitts. He is a tight end that could see wide receiver volume early on. I know it's going to be tough with Julio and Ridley ahead of him. We'll see how that shakes out. Sure doesn't look like Julio is getting traded, but um, I would take my shot on him. Now, I mean, I have him ranked at tight end five. Uh, there's a big asterisk here. I still don't think I will draft him where he's going to go in drafts. I think somebody is going to jump the gun on him in every draft. And I pretty much, if I don't get one of the top two or three tight ends this year, I'm going to wait pretty long. So um, I have Pitts ranked fifth at tight end, but it doesn't mean I'm going to draft him. Um, I've been moving Logan Thomas higher up my rankings because he gets a lot of volume. He's someone I think I could see uh, with Fitzpatrick coming in. That's going to be a fun offense. So um, I have Pitts five. I don't know how often I'm going to get him, but I'll chase that upside. It's just, it's worth it. And if it doesn't work out, you just move on to, you know, maybe Irv Smith on waivers or Johnny Smith or Tyler Higby gets a connection with uh, Stafford, whatever it is. I just, I'd, I'll take my shot with Pitts. I love I love that when you named the guys that you take at the end of the drafts, you named a selection of, of three out of four players and the guy in the middle that you left out that you skipped over was Evan Ingram. Uh-huh. I just I'm so glad that we're finally we're finally helping you. Uh, this is just a, a reminder to everyone that uh, if you have an, a problem, you seek help. You can get help. Um, there's, you know any type of addiction, right? You want to get that help and look at Eric. Uh, he's, I think st- 10 steps into his 12 step program. Now I'm really proud of you, buddy. We're getting off that Evan Ingram addiction. I love it. They um, added so many pass catchers. I just couldn't look past it anymore. I was like, he's just splitting too much work now. Right. Absolutely. Um, so Kyle Pitts at five, um, you have him, that means you have him ahead of one of these guys. I there's definitely no way you have him ahead of Kelsey Kittle or Waller. Uh, even though I've seen some people say Pitts' ceiling is Travis Kelsey, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous. But there's no way you have him ahead of one of those three guys, which means to get him at five, he has to be ahead of either Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson, who you had last time at four and five. So who got bumped to make room for Pitts? Uh, Mark Andrews did for me. Um, I Everything is just coming up perfectly for Hawkinson. I've, I moved him up to four. Uh, there's Like we just said, there's no competition in Detroit. Um, Andrews, it's just, I mean, it's a little bit like I was saying before, it's just, you're so touchdown dependent with him. Um, he had 58 catches last year, seven touchdowns. It's still a really good season, but, uh, with all these receivers they've added with the limitations of Lamar Jackson, I just, I don't know if we're going to see that hundred plus targets. Maybe we do out of Andrews, but I don't know if we're going to see that. And I just think there's more of a chance of that from Pitts. Uh, it could look bad. I mean, Andrews is a talented player, but it just felt last year they were just trying to throw the ball into tight windows to Andrews all the time. Um, it was getting pretty ugly over the middle with Lamar. It's just 
I think they're trying to go a little bit of a different route on offense, and I wouldn't be surprised to see his numbers drop some. So uh, give me Pitts, but um, I'll take Hawkinson over Pitts. I just think he's in a great spot. We're probably underestimating the production that Hawkinson's done in his first two years in the league as a tight end. So um, Hawkinson is uh, kind of full steam ahead right now. Well, and, and Hawkinson's a, a perfect example of of why we should be skeptical of Kyle Pitts because Hawkinson came in with an insane pedigree as yeah. a first-round tight end as well, and, and he is not – uh, I mean, to say he's not lived up to it is, would be to say that the expectations were unfairly high because Hawkinson has had a successful first couple of years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, now with him moving up to four, leapfrogging Mark Andrews, and we're kind of getting into uh, the veteran, you know, the sneak peek of the rankings. And we've got two more positions to talk about. But uh, with Hawkinson, it's it's funny. There's an alternate universe where the Dolphins do maybe the smart thing and take Sewell with their pick at six and the Lions take – uh, Jalen Waddle at pick seven and now Hawkinson maybe Kyle Pitts is number four in that in that instance and he leapfrogs both Hawkinson and uh, and Andrews yep it's there, there were a lot of things that changed with that pick for sure um I, I'm just looking at Hawkinson here I mean yeah he was the eighth overall pick um that that compares favorably to Pitts I do think Hawkinson's the type that's a good blocker too so he kind of gets trapped in that role from time to time uh, I'm just hoping the Falcons unleash Pitts here and it's in a better passing game as well yeah I think I think when we were talking about it either on the Thursday night podcast or or perhaps um last week when we were talking about the uh, Pitts to uh, Atlanta rumors that we we're thinking of Pitts more as like the um you know what? It kind of reminds me of when uh, Marcus Colston was uh, tight end eligible uh, 15 <laughs> years ago now. Yep. We're really going back there. But a uh, guy who you know was technically the tight end but was really more of a receiver out there. And that's what we might see from Pitts early on is just a guy who who basically plays a receiver role, almost like you know rookie year Evan Ingram um, and hopefully a lot better than Evan Ingram ever was. But uh, you know more of a route hands. runner. Better yeah, hands. more of a route runner, more of a, of a pass catcher uh, and less in, in type of you know complex – blocking schemes and stuff like that. And they can, they can rely on him out there. Um, you know, we know Matt, Matt Ryan doesn't need a ton of time to get the ball out. So, you know, maybe they don't need the extra blocker and they can let Pitts run wild a little bit more. Um, that would, I mean, if, if Pitts was a wide receiver, I don't think there'd be any question about him coming in and, and being uh, able to produce from, from day one. But the fact that he's listed as a tight end is where, you know, people are starting to be skeptical. Yep. So I understand the ranking. I like it. Uh, and I'm with you. I just, I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of, most of the people at QB list probably aren't going to have a lot of Kyle Pitts, except for someone in the staff league, because uh, those tight ends in the middle always get pushed up. Yep, for sure. All right. So biggest movers in your rankings, because we have your new set of rankings coming out sometime this week, presumably mm-hmm. uh, one day. Uh, keep a close eye on QBList.com and on our Twitter at the QB list for when the rankings come out. Uh, we talked about tight end. Uh, we kind of touched on the running backs. Let's let's talk on the biggest riser, uh, and not necessarily the biggest riser, but one of the more interesting ones, um, and that's James Conner. Um, now, he only technically is moving up a handful of spots, but we had some rookie running backs get added in there, um, and his situation has definitely changed uh, going to Arizona since the last time that uh, we've done the rankings. So, uh, what do you see from James Conner in Arizona? Um, is he someone that you're interested in drafting? Or, you know, some of these players that you rank them and it's like, yeah, I've ranked them here, but I'm more interested in a guy than him than I am in the guy that I ranked ahead of him. Is Conner like a, a 30 and rising or 30 and falling for you? He's a 30 and rising. And I mean, you know, it's it's running back 30. So 
Uh, I certainly have been burnt by James Conner over the years like everyone else has, and I will not forget that. So I'm not full steam ahead here, but just looking at this situation in Arizona is really promising. I mean, he's still uh, going into his age 26 season, so he's not completely over the hill here. And he replaces Kenyon Drake, who didn't look very good last year personally. I mean, you know, frankly, uh, in this offense, the running game didn't look that great. Uh, Drake was RB16 for the season, RB27 on a point-per-game basis. Um, it was a pretty good role there, and uh, Connor had a consistent work, or Drake had a consistent workload and ten touchdowns. That's even with Kyler Murray stealing him around the goal line. Um, Connor, you know, he's I, I think he can replicate that. I guess is what I'm saying. Drake ranked 42nd in juke rate last year and 34th in breakaway rate per uh, fantasy data. So he wasn't he was not good. I think Connor can match what Drake did to some extent. And I, I love Chase Edmonds for sure, um, but he's still, he's more of a pass catcher. He had 67 targets last year. He's never reached 500 yards rushing in any of his three years in the league. Like, I think the Drake role is still available for James Conner here for the most part. Edmonds may eat into it more, but I think at running back 30, it's a really nice value. Um, and then even Conner's situation in Pittsburgh, I mean, their offensive line was bad last year. Uh, the year before, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was injured. That was a mess. Like, I know Connor hasn't been great, but maybe that situation wasn't great either. So if you can just kind of get what you got from Drake last year with Connor this year, uh, I, I think it pays off on that draft value pretty easily. And outside of Edmonds in Arizona, it's pretty much Eno Benjamin. He's a former seventh round pick. He's more like Chase Edmonds than he is early down back. So I don't know. I think it's a nice spot for Connor. He's got to stay healthy. But um, if you're going zero RB, he's kind of a nice later pickup, I think. Well, and there's something too to be said. Uh, Connor, you know, he, he broke into the scene uh, right out when during the uh, Le'Veon Bell saga. Um, really took over in that bell cow role and and had a fantastic first year. But has really been dogged by injury since then. And there's something to be said for the fact that sometimes you just you just aren't able to be that 16 game running or 17 game running back and, and every down kind of guy. Um, and maybe maybe in a fresh situation, new team. And perhaps a reduced workload. I know how much that sucks from a fantasy perspective because the more touches is more better. But at the same time, he might be able to be more productive and on a more consistent basis if he's not out there getting 20 touches or you know 15 plus touches a game. Um, if he's more in that 12-ish touch role, that might be uh, exactly what he needs to be fresh, you know, game after game, and not and not always be dogged by those injuries. Um, almost on the exact opposite end of the spectrum is a guy who pretty much has only been interesting the past few years because of volume and because he's just uh, capable of uh, going out there every single game and, and taking as many touches as he needs to, and and just kind of never uh, breaking down. He just also never really broke away from everyone. And that was David Johnson uh, in Houston. Uh, at one point, I, I can't remember how many weeks into the season it was, but like every single week he had scored between 11 and 14 fantasy points uh, in PPR. It was like an eight, eight week stretch. It was like exactly in that amount. And it was just because they were giving him the ball over and over and over. I assume he's falling here for you because of the addition of Philip Lindsay and the fact that Johnson may not continue to get the ball over and over and over. Exactly. Um, I mean, his, his DJ's primary competition last year was Duke Johnson. Uh, Duke missed five games due to injury. And I mean, apparently all coaching staffs just hate giving him the ball because they always <laughs> seem to pass up on giving him any touches. So yeah, he was getting fed uh, David Johnson as much as he could handle. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, now they have both Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay. I don't think Ingram's got a left lot, a lot left in the tank, but he's going to get some between the tackles work from time to time. And Philip Lindsay, I mean, he's the youngest of this bunch going into his age 27 season. He's averaged 4.8 yards per attempt through three seasons. Uh, he's had two 1,000 yard seasons. I don't think it's that big of a stretch to say that Philip Lindsay is the best running back of this backfield potentially. So uh, he could eat into DJ's work a ton new coaching staff. I just, I don't know what we can count on here with David Johnson. Plus you throw in the whole Deshaun Watson thing. I mean, we could end up having Tyrod Taylor under center here. So um, yeah, I am not interested in David Johnson. I would rather take Philip Lindsay just, you know, late and hope for the best. But um, yeah, I think we've seen the last of the David Johnson bell cow role. I, I just want to say I, I don't blame coaching staffs for hating Duke Johnson and not wanting to give him the uh, the ball on the ground because uh, in my my quarterback Madden whatever it's called career mode uh, th- there came a point where Duke Johnson was the only running back on the team and every single time they called a running play I audibled out because it was a guaranteed <laughs> two yards at most I was like no he can't run I'll throw him the ball he was great in screens yep. but uh, they were calling like up the like a, a halfback off tackles I'm like no. He can't do that. Stop it. You're, you're a part uh, of the problem, Miles. I'm part of the problem. I'm <laughs> absolutely part of that. Duke Johnson knew that people on Madden were just not using him. He completely wrecked his confidence. Um, all right. And then finally, let's talk about a couple wide receivers that have moved a lot. Um, let's talk about Emmanuel Sanders, who went from outside of your top 60 to 48. So, I mean, 48, still not super sexy, but that's a draftable wide receiver. That's like right at the edge of uh, wide receiver four uh, rankings. And he's in a good situation in Buffalo, replacing John Brown. Uh, you know, obviously, Stefan Diggs is the guy there, but Josh Allen threw the ball a ton last year. Uh, what kind of upside do you see for Emmanuel Sanders here? Yeah, I really like this spot for him. The more I thought about it, um, the Bills didn't do a whole lot to do anything with the running game. So I, I think this is going to continue to be one of the pass happiest teams in the league. Um, Sanders is kind of, you know, he was a really good receiver for years and years. We've kind of forgotten about him last year. He kind of had to deal with the whole Taysom Hill situation with Drew Brees hurt. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders was hurt for maybe a year or two before that. We just kind of haven't seen a normal year out of Sanders. And if he can make it happen here, I know it's behind Diggs, but um, he's competing with Cole Beasley, who's just strictly a slot receiver. He's getting older, too. Uh, Gabriel Davis, as much as I like him, um, you know, he's he's a young player. I think Sanders can beat him out for targets. So just, you know, no tight end situation, no running back situation, tons of passes to go around. Uh, he's got a really nice spot. He's getting older. I believe he's 33 now. He's got to stay on the field, that, all those caveats. But in this draft range, I think there's a really nice role you could get. He's probably not going to win you your league, but he could definitely be a steady presence every week. Uh, wide receiver three, fill in on buys, that kind of thing. And uh, there's some decent room for growth here. I, I think he could be involved from start to finish in this offense. Yeah, I feel like uh, when it comes to wide receivers, the the volume is obviously a lot more um, volatile because it's not as simple as turning around and handing the ball to someone. You have to like actually find them and throw the ball to them. But when it comes to this situation with the Bills, you, you said it best. There's no tight ends there. Uh, the running back situation is still tepid at best. I mean, <laughs> Like are we again? Are we excited about Zach Moss? Is anyone excited about Zach Moss or Devin Singletary, uh, including those in Buffalo? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, and Josh Allen can't throw the ball to Stephon Diggs always, uh, even though you know he joined like DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams as far as like 
hey, I'm not even going to look at anyone else. I'm just going to throw the ball to Diggs. There still has to be someone else who's going to get the passes. And, uh, you know, in Arizona, they were throwing the ball to the running backs. They were throwing the ball to Kirk. Um, They're throwing the ball to Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, They're uh, contractually obligated five times a game. In Green Bay, you had Tunyon. You had Jones. Uh, Buffalo doesn't have anyone else. It's Diggs, and that's it. And so Sanders is set up perfectly here. Um, and again, just remember the Cole Beasley uh, flow chart. If uh, Sanders is hurt, though, uh, Cole Beasley will be in line for, for a lot of work. So just keep that in mind uh, when you're drafting the Buffalo Bills wide receivers. Um, finally, let's talk about the biggest faller. And this is this is a big tumble. This is a big tumble. Antonio Brown was ranked 31st in your two early rankings, and he is now – almost out of your top 60. He's sit, uh, currently sitting at 58. I know he's not on a team. And so that's a big part of it. But like, what do you see from Antonio Brown? Yeah, well, actually, uh, Antonio Brown is back with the Bucks. Uh, they are so crowded in the receiving core, you may not have noticed. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty clear drop. It's just when I ranked him at 31, I was hoping either he would leave to a new team or, um, you know, Chris Godwin would leave for a new team. I, I didn't think they were all coming back for another year. Somehow the Bucks managed to pull this off and keep everyone together. So that's why I was optimistic on Brown. I thought he still has something left in the tank, especially if Godwin left and Brown came back. I just thought Brady would latch on to him and he could have a nice season, but that didn't happen. Uh, now he's third, you know, behind both of those, you know, elite receivers really. So I just don't see a lot barring a major injury. I don't see a lot of room. The running back is stacked here. There's just so much to go around in Tampa Bay. It's hard to get excited about him now. Yeah. So I, I just, I just looked and Antonio Brown signed with the bucks a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one day after the Julio Jones rumors uh, came out and obviously we're in pre-draft mode. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if, if Brown is uh, trying to lay low with all the times he's been, uh, the headline in the news over the past couple of, of years, but boy, did he pick the perfect time to sign and for no one to notice because we were all Julio Jones things happen. And then maybe even a uh, uh, Brown hit up uh, Aaron Rodgers and was like, Hey, make a big stink. I don't want people knowing that I resigned. So then we had the Rogers stuff to deal with, you know, there's too much going on uh, during this, you know, off season of the NFL, right? I mean, we're all talking about the draft and Antonio Brown's like, all right, cool. I'll head back to Tampa Bay. We can all change. I can stop drafting Evan Ingram. Antonio Brown can stop stealing headlines. This is just a new world here. Yeah. And he, I mean, signing right before the draft, maybe uh, Tampa Bay assured him they weren't going to draft another wider, you know, wide receiver to put ahead of him. So, you know, maybe he was waiting on that promise from, from Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's not a great situation. We did see last year what the upside could look like, but uh, a lot of times when he did well, it was because either Evans or Godwin didn't play. Um, it's And it's not like you're, I mean, at this point in his career, I know Antonio Brown has had the best wide receiver in the NFL pedigree, but he's not better than Mike Evans and Chris Godwin right now. And uh, I mean, it, it's hard to, to make him a, a concerted effort to make him the guy when you'd be actively hurting your team to do that. So yeah. uh, short of a, short of a major injury in Tampa Bay, I just, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't see it. I think this is probably the worst case scenario for Antonio Brown's fantasy football, uh, you know, stock, which obviously I'm sure he thought about a lot when he, when he <laughs> signed, he was like, all right, what is this doing for my fantasy football stock? Um, but as, that's what all the players and coaches should be doing. You know, uh, I, Maurice Jones drew did a, did an AMA on the, uh, fantasy football subreddit and talked about how he would always draft himself first when he was playing. I mean, that's what everyone should be doing personally. I think there should be way more of a, of a influence of fantasy football when it comes to how NFL decisions are made. I mean, you know, uh, we would be better GMs than some of these guys out there for sure. You know, from our armchairs, we definitely know way more, but 
that's gonna, that's gonna do it for us here today um we i know there's more rookies that we didn't even talk about but these are all the ones that are mainly gonna be fantasy relevant you know it would take for example take like a big injury uh for seattle's wide receiver uh deckridge i don't even remember what his uh his name is but it would take a big injury for a guy like him to be relevant so um you know we we pretty much touched on all the relevant ones today um eric what do we got coming up here at qb list yeah, so rankings are coming out. Look for those. I'm going to have some pretty long write-ups on them as well. So this is my updated rankings from the way too early ranks, draft update. I just want to take some extra time and make sure I, I felt good about them. A lot of moving parts. So uh, keep an eye on the rankings. More podcasts coming. Um, other than that, though, we'll just kind of do some going deeps here or there. Uh, but we will start getting ramped up as the uh, offseason draws on. Um, definitely, I'm going to try to do some uh, best ball drafts inside the Discord. Uh, Dynasty drafts are approaching, rookie drafts. So there's a lot to get excited on. We'll have lots of drafts inside the Discord. So if you're interested, come join us, PL+. Plus. Uh, pretty much you can find, once once the uh, best ball, the dollar Yahoo best balls start up, you can find somebody drafting those about once a night. So um, yeah, come join us and just do as many drafts as you can this offseason. Yeah, and and you can also ask us uh, for our advice during your drafts as long as we're not also in that draft. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe might still help, but I don't know. I, I if I'm if my money's on the line, I, I might not give you the best advice. Uh, but that's gonna do it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.